Some folks are a little guarded when it comes to being intimate with others. And I don't just mean in a marriage relationship. Obviously, we know that level of intimacy. Some of us do. But in a, in a relationship setting, in a contextual setting of where we pull the walls down and people can see the real us. Today, we're going we're gonna to allow God's word to empower us to overcome this fear of intimacy. Our hinge point scripture for today comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. We've read it the last few weeks says this, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Again, as I said, many of us think of the fear of intimacy connected to just a relationship of marriage or something of that nature. That intimacy can't happen outside of maybe that, that very cogent relationship uh, that's around a marriage ceremony. But the reality is we should all have an opportunity in our life to be intimate with other people to show the real you to the world around you so that you're not faking it every day or you're not faking it throughout the week or you're not faking it with people from time to time, but you're being the real authentic you. Now, how many of us at times in our life have been burned or hurt by relationships? Some of you, the, the marriage thing is, is really messed you up because you saw your parents in a bad marriage. You saw your parents in a destructive marriage, ultimately maybe even ending in divorce. And so you've said to yourself, I don't want my kids to go through that. I don't want to go through that. So I'm going to build a wall of protection around myself and my heart. And I'm not going to allow myself to be really vulnerable with people in life. The reality is there's real pain when it comes to relational hurts. I'm not denying that. I don't want you ever to think that we would deny the fact that people can really hurt you. Or that when you're vulnerable, that it isn't a risk that you're taking. It's a real risk in Life is real and you can have real pains associated with that risk. Job chapter 19 and verse 19, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. But I think many of us understand the story of Job. We've heard the story of Job, this guy that had all this stuff and, and that it was taken away from him. And then he went through some hardships in life. Maybe you don't know the background information on the story of Job, but you know there are stories in the Bible that are historical, but they're not historical accounts. So there was a man named Job, just like there was a King Midas but not everything that King Midas touched turned to gold. The same thing's true for the life of Job. This was a story that was told, it was passed down through old tradition, meaning one person would tell a story and memorize the story, and another person would memorize the same story and then pass it on for generation to generation. Job is actually the first book of the Bible, not contextually or not linearly, but it's the first book that was passed down in oral tradition. So it's the oldest book that we have on record. In Job, after all of his stuff is gone and there's this cosmic bet between the good and the evil forces, between God and Satan, and God and Satan have this debate, look at my servant, look at my servant. He's not gonna defy me. He's not gonna walk away from me. He's gonna serve me forever. And the, the devil says, I bet he won't if we take away all of his stuff. God says, no, I know his heart, so it doesn't matter what happens as long as you can't touch him, you can't kill him. But as long as... As long as I know his heart, as long as I know his heart's secure in me, he's not going to deny me. So this cosmic bet takes place and what happens? We see Job lose his fortune and we see Job lose his livestock and his family and we see Job literally sitting in a, in a pile of ashes and scratching the sores on his body with broken pots. And in the middle of all of this, Job says, my intimate friends deserted me. They detest me. Those I love have turned against me. In the middle of his brokenness, and many of us feel the same way, and that's why it's hard to jump 
into real honest relationships. Many of us feel the same way. We've been left destitute, broken. We've been left alone. And we feel like, God, couldn't you have stopped this from happening? And we look at those where we're supposed to love us and we say they've even turned our back on us. I know there are people living today with a real fear of intimacy, much like Job had. That there's a real honest pain that's brought out because of destructive and broken relationships. And the pain is real, I don't wanna deny that. You feel brokenheartedness, but I wanna encourage you that God's here to bind up those wounds. I wanna encourage you that God's here to, to mend that broken heart, to put the salve of his word on it so that you can move forward. Many people I know today, they build, they build up walls around their broken hearts. And many of us today carry walls around our broken hearts because we fear intimacy. We fear being honest. We fear being truthful. Every time I look at the word intimacy, I'm reminded of a movie, and it's an old Mike Myers movie, the, the Love Guru. Anybody ever seen that? I'm not suggesting you go see it, but he has this little phrase of intimacy, into me I see. And I think that's pretty good phrasing for how we look at the word intimacy, that we should look inward for all of the issues that are facing us in our life of intimacy than the fear of intimacy. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Genesis, and you can open to Genesis chapter 3, we'll start with verse 9. But we're all familiar at some point or another with the creation story, that God created man and woman. He created Adam and Eve. He set them aside in the garden and first he created man, he carved him out of the dust of the ground and he breathed life into him and man stood up and had life and vitality and the spirit of God and God recognized it wasn't good for man to be alone so he pulled a rib from his side and out of that rib, out of the same substance, he crafted woman and that they would be side to side, shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand. God made Adam and Eve and he said, listen, all of this garden, everything in creation is yours. I've made you, Adam, a helpmate. I've made you someone to live with and walk with and have intimacy with. God charged the original couple. He charged them with this, this edict. He said to create and to multiply, to subdue the earth and to rule over it. He even said to have lots of babies. He said, listen, eat and have fun and enjoy the landscape and enjoy the animals, enjoy everything I've created, but don't touch that one tree. Don't touch that one tree that's in the garden that I've marked off. Don't touch that one tree that I've set aside and said, it's not yours, it's mine. And the serpent came along, the deceiver came along and whispered in Eve's ear and said, if you really wanna see as God sees, that's the tree for you. God didn't really say not to touch it. He's, he's saying, he's metaphorically saying, if you wanna see as he sees, that you should take a bite and the world will be open to you. And Adam and Eve sided with God's arch enemy and they took a bite. And in this moment, now intimacy with God was broken. And the intimacy that Adam and Eve had with one another was lost. So there are two things that happen. There are two things that happen when intimacy is lost. There are two breakdowns in our personality when intimacy is lost. The first thing that we learn in Genesis is there's distance. That we start to put distance between ourselves and others, between ourselves and God. Genesis chapter three and verse nine and 10 says this, but the Lord is called, or but the Lord called to man, where are you? And man answered, or he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. See, when, when intimacy starts to break down, we put God and others at arm's length. And when we put God and others at arm's length, as intimacy breaks down, we hide. We hide in our shame. 
as intimacy breaks down and we don't want others to see us as we are, we hide away. We cover ourselves. In fact, in the story, it goes on to say that the man and the woman, they covered themselves with fig leaves. They tried to find anything they could around them to cover themselves so they weren't naked and they weren't ashamed. God knew they were naked beforehand and God had actually seen them bare and all that they were before they even sinned. Yet the bite of that apple, that first moment of sin, that first moment they defied the edict of God, now they saw the world as it was. They saw themselves as they were. Perfect creation, yet sinning against God and now hiding themselves. Once intimacy starts to break down, we will fashion coverings for ourselves from whatever we can get. We will create a mask. We will create a facade. We will create something to create a distance between ourselves and others. I have to ask the question, what are you hiding behind? What are you hiding behind? Some of us hide behind religion. It's good. It's easy, right? I pray a lot and I'm this prayer warrior. I serve a lot and I'm a servant in God's kingdom. I know all the right Bible verses to say, when issues of life happen, but nobody knows the real you. Some of us are good at hiding behind our jobs. I have this title. I make this amount of money. I'm really successful. We hide behind our jobs and our success. Some of us hide behind our children. Our entire identity is wrapped up in that kid. If that kid doesn't get good grades, then, well, God forbid, then my identity is ruined. We have a tendency that once intimacy starts to break down between ourselves and God and ourselves and others, we start to distance ourselves. We start to pull away. The next thing is we become defensive. We start to say things like, it's not my fault, and we start to blame others. Defensiveness, defensiveness requires the blame game. Defensiveness requires the blame game to persist and to continue and to move on. This blame game looks like this. And it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's your fault. If you were different, you always do this or you never do that. And generally all the hearers hears, all that person hearing the blame game, all they, all they hear is that it's all their fault. In Genesis chapter three and verse 12, just a few verses down in 13, the man, said, or the man said, the woman you put me here with, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, it was the serpent. He deceived me and I ate it. In each case, when God showed up and said, listen, there's an issue here we need to rectify, each person decided as intimacy was broken with God, that they would start to blame someone else. They would start to shift. They would become defensive. It's not my fault. It's their fault. It's not my fault. It's not my issue. It's their issue. Today, we're going to allow God's word to penetrate our heart in such a life-changing way that we can see through his word ways that we can overcome that we can overcome the fear of intimacy, that through the word of God and the Holy Spirit, we can learn to overcome intimacy. Overcoming the fear of intimacy takes on two very distinct characteristics. The first one is that we have to take a prayerful, relational risk for an intimate relational return. And the second, we're gonna get into both of these. And the second thing is that you have to find security, acceptance, and intimacy in Christ first. 
So the first risk here, if we're going to overcome our fear of intimacy, if we're going to really unpack this and overcome it, you can't hide away forever. At some point, you have to take a prayerful relational risk for an intimate relational return. If you want others to be intimate with you, if you want to feel that connectedness, if you want to feel like you're part of the group and part of the club, if you want to feel connected to others, you have to risk being vulnerable. You have to risk what it is to show others your heart and your true personhood. First Peter chapter one and verse 22 says it like this, love one another deeply from the heart. That we can learn to love others deeply from the heart and it's scary to risk but it's so much scarier not to risk. It is scary to risk intimacy. It's scary to risk vulnerability, but it is so much scarier not to risk. Loneliness is real. Many people in life are isolated and alone and they feel, they feel the pressure and the burden of loneliness and it's a real thing. But what's even more lonely is being alone with another person. There's a loneliness that's felt when the person next to you, lying in bed next to you, doesn't really know the real you. There's a loneliness that comes that even though we're in fellowship with other people, they don't really know the true us. We've built up walls, we've built up barriers, and we're isolated and alone, even in a crowd of people. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 7, the great love chapter says, love always trusts. Love always hopes and love always perseveres. That if we honestly understand the love of God, that we'll persist and that we will hope and that we will persevere even through each other's garbage, even through each other's junk. Listen, my kids, my kids every day of the world, they are the original nudists. They love running around our house naked. And at best they have on their underwear. We had a, we had a, a rule for 2019 you have to eat with clothes on. You cannot eat dinner or breakfast or lunch with no clothes on. You have to have clothes on to eat. If you come over to our house, it's not gonna be long. One of them is gonna start stripping off one of their shirts, probably stripping down to their underwear. And we have to beg them, guys, keep your clothes on. Friends come over and sleep over and they're in their underwear. Some of these kids are like, what's wrong with your family? Why are all these kids in their underwear? Well, it's just how comfortable they are in our house. Someday our kids are gonna marry some young girl and she's gonna have to be super comfortable with some dude in his underwear all the time because that's the house we live in. She's gonna have to become really comfortable or have a new set of rules that my sons are gonna have to live by and that will be for them to work out someday. But in authentic relationships, we should be allowed to be comfortable in who we are in our own skin. Most of us enter relationships with walls that are so thick and so heavy and so built up that we can't be who we really are. We can't be just walking around in our underwear, metaphorically speaking. Don't do that in real life. You'll have a problem. You'll probably get arrested. If you streak through this church, I will call the police. You will get arrested. I promise you. I will kick you out in your underwear. It's not cold anymore. You'll be all right. But the fact is we get caught up in life and we don't bear all and we're not true to ourselves. And we can't honestly say to other people, this is who I am. This is my heart. These are my fears. These are my hesitations. This is who I am. We can't bear all. We're too clothed at times to be our true honest selves. We fear intimacy to such a degree that we can't be as free as my children are and just lay around in a comfortable nature and say, this is who I am, take it or leave it. 
I hope we as a church can open up our hearts of understanding to the point that we allow people to come in the door and just be who they are. That doesn't mean I have to accept every decision you make. That doesn't mean I have to accept every lifestyle choice. But there's a truth to the word of scripture that there is on every person the Imago Dei, the stamp of God. That everyone is created in the image and likeness of God. Even if they don't recognize Jesus as Savior, the potential for the seed of the image of God to be realized in their life is true. Psalm said it like this. The psalmist looked up to the night sky. He saw the stars twinkling in their sockets. He saw the expanse of the universe and he said, what is man that you're mindful of him? What is the son of man that you care for him? That you've crowned him with glory and honor or dignity and worth. That you've set him a little lower than yourself and you set him to rule over the works of your hands. The psalmist said he understood who, who man was that he was set apart from all creation, that he was made a little lower than God himself, set to rule over the works of God's hand, just as we read in Genesis, that he was crowned with glory and honor, or dignity and worth. Yet most of us don't respect that dignity and worth in our own life, so it's almost impossible to give it to someone else. We can't bear our soul enough to be who we are created to be, to be the person that God created us to be in our warts, in our failures, in our triumphs, in our successes. We can't be who we truly are because we're fearing that level of intimacy. First John chapter four and verse 18 says it this way. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. If we understand the father's love for us, we don't have to approach his throne fearing retribution. We don't have to approach his personhood fearing judgment. We can come to God. We can come to God as fear is cast out. That his perfect love is literally casting out all fear. We can come and be vulnerable and be intimate. Once we learn to be intimate with God, we can be intimate with others. That brings us to our next point. Before you risk, you must find security, acceptance, and intimacy in Christ. Before you set out to risk in an intimate relationship, to connect with someone, to know them for who they are so they can know who you for who you are, before you set out into that track, you have to first understand that you are secure, you are accepted, and you are in an intimate relationship with Jesus. There's a difference between relationship and fellowship, and I should use the word fellowship. Some of us have relationships with others. They're not intimate and it's not fellowship. You have a relationship, you pass them in the street, hi, bye, how you doing? But you don't have fellowship, you don't sit with them and get to know them and connect with them and commune with them and learn their heart and learn their fears and learn what makes them upset and learn what makes them happy. You don't really know the person. Before we can risk it, before we can risk it in relationships, before we can set out to overcome this fear of intimacy, we have to come to a place we are secured and accepted and there's real intimacy with ourselves in Jesus. That we understand he loves us just the way that we are, but he loves us way too much to leave us that way. He loves you just as you are. You can come to God with all the baggage in the world, but he loves you so much he will not leave you the way he found you. That you will be changed by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37 Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is Jesus talking. And the second command is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
that we come to a place in Christ, we understand the first command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love him with your total person. Learn to come into intimate fellowship with Jesus with all that you have. And eventually you come to a new perspective that we love our neighbor as ourself. That we learn to accept and love others just as they are. Again, not that we accept every decision or life choice, not that we accept all of their decisions or even all of their ideals, but that we come to love them, the personhood, who they are in Christ. We come to love the potential seed of the gospel that's buried in their heart, that if they give their life to Jesus, that they will begin to blossom and to bloom into more of Christ's likeness that we learn to love the person for their potential in Jesus and not for the mistakes of their past. That we come to a place where we understand that this life is about real intimate connection. Romans chapter 15 and verse seven. Accept one another. Then, just as Christ accepts you in order to bring praise to God that we accept others just because Jesus has accepted us. We accept others for who they are because Christ accepts you for who you are. In this life, many times, the sin we carry in our life looks like it needs to be forgiven. But the moment that sin is turned on to another person, it looks like it needs to be judged. We have this duality within us that says, God, forgive me for my mistakes and my trespasses and my issues, but God, judge the hell out of them. And for most of us, it's literally, God, judge the hell out of them because I know if you judge them harsh enough, they'll turn to heaven. Yet we want grace and mercy for ourselves. We have to come to a place in understanding true acceptance is to live in a place I accept you right where you are, but I love you way too much to let you stay that way. In fact, when you have good, honest relationships, you can have those hard conversations. Scott and I had a conversation not too long ago. I had done something that offended him and it truly offended him. He sat me aside in a lunch table and said, listen, you offended me. And I thought, oh man, I don't want one of these conversations. And I'm doing everything, I, you know, trying to backpedal a little bit. He said, stop, just say you're sorry. I'm like, you're right, Scott, I'm sorry. It was an honest conversation where he looked at me, the personhood, the dignity and worth, the value that God has in my life. And I could honestly in return, look to him in the same respect. Not because I'm a person, per, perfect person, but because I followed these rules I wasn't going to start to create distance from Scott and say, no, no, I can't have a relationship with you. Now you, you've seen my warts. I wasn't about to deny what happened and say, you know what? Forget that. You don't understand. I did my best. No, take it on the chin. Take it for what it was. Honestly, be who you are, warts and all. You know, Scott could have turned that into a talking point and ran around the church and said, oh, he's done this and he's done that and he's not, he's, he's not this and he's not that and that pastor's a liar. He could, have, he could have taken it all kinds of different ways, but he didn't because he honestly has intimacy with the Father and I honestly have intimacy with God and we can come together in an honest relationship and then have intimacy with each other and know that no matter what we bring to the table, and this is for all situations and all relationships, that we can come honestly to the table and bear our soul and say, you know what? It's not about being perfect. It's about God having his perfect work in us. In reality, we have to learn to build ourselves up. We have to learn to take moments of assessment and find out who we really are. In order for us to conquer the fear of intimacy, we have to, along with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and the outworking of scripture, learn to build ourselves up in knowing who we are in Christ. 
The best thing we can do is to list a hundred reasons you're secure in Jesus. Go home and write it out on a piece of paper. It's like homework. I know it sucks. Go write out on a piece of paper all the reasons you're secure in Christ. He died for me. He loved me. He's healed me. He's forgiven me. The grace of God is working in my life. There's mercy. There's, there, there, there's no judgment. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Go through and list it out. And every time you feel the walls coming up to shelter your heart and to keep you from being bruised or hurt, recite those 100 reasons that know you're secure in Christ and because you're secure in him, you can risk your heart being hurt. Because you're secure in him, you can risk vulnerability. Because you're secure in him, you can overcome this fear of intimacy. Committing, committing to discovering intimacy is the first step. <clears throat> that might happen best in small groups. Excuse me. <clears throat> that might happen best in the small groups that we have here at Grace, where you can connect with other people even for a season, as you study a book or as you study a topic, that you can connect with other people and bear your soul and your heart and your mind. You can show them this is who you really are. The second step as we end today is to commit to coming out of hiding. Listen, there's so many people that are just hiding in life. You're hiding at your job, you're hiding at church. You're hiding in different scenarios. You're hiding in different relationships. You're not letting the world see the real you. We, are, we have begun to celebrate in our culture to one extent or another the coming out of people. But what we're learning to celebrate is the masking of other issues and behaviors and deficits. We haven't learned to honestly celebrate the true authentic person. Because the moment someone says, this is truly, honestly who I am, that's the moment judgment starts. We need to learn to backtrack a little bit, to love people for who they are and where they're at, to allow them to be their real authentic selves in Christ. Not a made up version, not a stereotypical version, not the version that the world or the culture will gravitate towards, but the honest to goodness truth of who they are in Jesus. Once we learn to do that, people will start to come out of hiding in the droves. They'll be their authentic selves. They'll say, this is who I am. Love me for where I am, but please love me enough not to let me stay the way I am. To be vulnerable enough to say, this is how God made me. I'm presenting myself fully and honestly to the world around me, but I know that my Jesus loves me so much that who I am today is not who I'll be tomorrow. That though I might not be perfect today and there might be some flaws, there might be some pimples, there might be some gaps, who I am tomorrow will be a better and more picturesque person of who Jesus is carving me into. That we can understand that today, today is just a representation of your yesterday. But tomorrow will be a representation of your future. And that if you'll allow it, the Holy Spirit will start to carve you, start to mold you into the person and the image of Christ that you will become more and more like him as you come to accept all of the 100 reasons that you are secure in him, that grace and mercy become your abode, that you come to a place where you know you are accepted, that you're secure in him, not because of anything you've done, but because of the love of God that he's expressed, that he's birthed in your heart. As I read before in John chapter four, perfect love cast out all fear. There is no fear in perfect love. 
this morning, I want to challenge you. Come to a place where love is perfected. Come to a place where you're experiencing God's perfect love. Come to a place where fear is diminished. The fear of intimacy falls and fades away because the perfect love of God is realized. I love my wife with everything I am, but there are moments in life where I fear even intimacy with her. If she knows my real struggles, if she knows my real issues, if she knows my real inner thoughts, will she love me the same way? We tend to draft that version of love onto God and say, if God knew me really and honestly, would he still love me? Would he still accept me? It's funny because we act as if we're gonna shock him. Like someday we're gonna say to God, God, did you know I did this? And he's gonna go, what? I had no idea. He's the creator of the universe. He knows all things. He knows your most deep-seated inner thoughts and desires. He knows everything about you. There's nothing you can bring to his presence that he hasn't already seen. But true intimacy isn't saying, you're the creator of the universe, you know it all, I don't have to be honest. True intimacy is saying, God, I know you know all things, but let me be bare and honest before you. My fears, my failures, my triumphs, my successes, God, this is who I am. And allow yourself to live in that space and understand that he accepts you, he loves you. You are secure in him just the way that you are. Once you understand that, then you can give that level of love and respect and intimacy to others because you can't give what you don't have. Listen, if I ask you right now to write a check for a million dollars you don't have in your account, it doesn't matter what's written on that check, it's not gonna get cashed. But once you have secured in yourself a sense of intimacy and love and security and acceptance from Jesus, then you can give it out to others. Don't rush this process but allow the Holy Spirit to wash over your heart, to wash over your life, to set you on a new path, to, to strategically carve out a new path for you. That you can, you can be vulnerable, that you can be true and honest to who you are, that you can be bare in front of God and others and say, this is who I am. This isn't a one-time effect, but this is a lifetime journey to breaking down walls and barriers so that we overcome this fear of intimacy, so that we learn to overcome this fear of taking a risk, of being vulnerable, of showing our true colors. And as I said before, I'm as guilty as anyone else. When we first started this church, I thought I had to be a certain way in order to be accepted as a pastor. I was a little younger then, five years, six years younger then. I felt I had to wear a hoodie and a deep V to be considered the cool pastor on the block. I found out that was stupid and nobody cared. I found out you really don't judge what I wear. Maybe some of you do, oh well. But for the most part, nobody after church says, I didn't like your shirt or tie or suit or pants. Or, they just don't care. You know why? Because it doesn't matter. We are so trapped at a fear of intimacy that we actually think people count us up as we walk in and out of the door. That they look over our outfits and our external uh, external uh, appearance and, and we actually think they judge us. Most folks are too terrified that the world's judging them to judge you. Allow yourself to be vulnerable, to be the true you. Honesty in that brings such deep-seated relationships, such real covenant relationships. Those relationships that are built for a lifetime happen because someone was vulnerable. You might even forget their name on Sunday morning. 
but you'll remember their heart.